1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Klass. And on today's show, folks, we are Free Writer Friday for September. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you?
2: Pretty good. You know, it's uh, we we we, in Dallas, we actually got none of the terrible storms that Houston got. And in fact, I had people sending me emails and stuff from Australia saying, I hope you're okay." The the irony is a terrible thing that went down down in Houston in 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 Dallas. We had it was beautiful weather. It it actually brought nice weather down because it pulled down a little bit of the cool air from the north. Right, so, um, I was explaining to our friends in Australia though that you know Texas is a very big state, <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh, the the best example of this uh, is that I don't know if you're aware of this, but but uh, El Paso, Texas, mm-hmm. which is on the extreme west side of of the state state of Texas, is about fifty or so miles closer to Los Angeles than it is to Dallas right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so,
2: just gives you a little bit of an example of how big Texas is. And it's true, everything is bigger in Texas, including the Vera Symposium, Ron, is going to be bigger in Texas when we have that down here in November. So, we're hoping that people will want to join us there and to get more information about that. It's the soul of enterprise.com. Slash Verisage. Age. There are still slots available, although it is it is uh, tightening up a little bit. Where we're we're getting a lot of people to 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 sign on. So don't don't wait any longer.
1: Fantastic! I am so looking forward to that. That's going to be a blast. Yeah, it uh, is. Along with a tailgate party at a high school football game. <laughs> that is
2: correct. Wait wait till <laughs> you see everything is bigger in Texas. Texas high school football high school.
1: style. <laughs> So you didn't have to pay any of those price gouging, uh, you know, for water and things like that. Oh man,
2: no, I did not. And you know, since you bring that up, I was going to start with something else, but let's start there. Let's start. Okay, great. I I didn't mean to
1: start go there, but
2: (laughs) yeah, I I had something in my stack on that, so I'll just I'll just bring that up, and we'll 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 start on our free riding here. This is a an article that. I think, let me see if I can get this original source. Yes, originally printed in the American Enterprise Institutes on their website mm-hmm. uh, with with our friend, uh, I think we've mentioned him before, Mark J. Perry. Yep. And I know you're a big fan of his. He's a, a professor of economics and finance at the University of Michigan's Flint campus. Mm-hmm. And he just came up with an absolutely brilliant analogy about Uh, the the gouging and and why um anti-gouging laws make little to no sense all right so let me just this read this to you right it's a a little little pieces of it he says during the summer many areas of the country are affected by excessively high and exorbitant temperatures right for example phoenix had 19 days of 110 plus summer heat in June and July, and the, it could see 100 days uh, of uh, 100 days of over 110 degree temperatures for the next several decades, according to one forecast. Um, this could be a big problem. So what he is suggesting that we do um, is that uh, – and isn't it wrong, of course, Ron, that these people in, in Phoenix have to suffer from these excessively high and unfair, unreasonable, unjust, and even immoral temperatures, really, when you come sure. down to it, right? Um, same thing is true, by the way, on the low end, but let's leave that aside for right now. Uh, so in order to counteract this, he is proposing that we uh, h- h- we have a fair mi- maximum temperature act of 2007, okay? Okay. All existing thermometers and thermostats in homes, offices, and businesses will immediately be replaced by a new temperature reading equipment with a maximum reading of 90 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And therefore, therefore, the people in Phoenix will no longer have to suffer from these unconscionable... Uh, temperatures that are occurring when we set this a maximum of you know the federally mandated maximum of 90 degrees Fahrenheit so we're good to go and then he also proposes the same thing on the other way not wanting to leave anybody out so therefore uh, zero degrees would be the minimum temperature that we would allow Uh, and therefore the people suffering like in in the Dakotas uh, during the winter they they don't have to worry about it because the temperature will only be
1: zero degrees no 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 further worries. Right, right. It, you know, Thomas Sowell makes the exact same point about whether you're talking about price controls on the surplus or the shortage side. All you're doing is you're plunging uh, the thermometer of a fevered patient into a nice bucket of water to lower their temperature. So mm-hmm. you're not dealing with the un- all the price is signaling is the underlying reality that things are scarce.
2: <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. And, and look, the, I, I got into several debates on this on, on Facebook uh, w- with a lot of people, and I, I think that one of the things I just want to make clear is that I am not against charitable organizations and or private organizations, private companies, because actually they do, in, in my view, even a better job than the private charities, believe it or not. Uh, private organizations such as Walmart distributing free water. Right, absolutely. Um, I'm all in all, in favor of that. In fact, one of the things that was pr- the problem in uh, in Katrina was that FEMA didn't didn't let private companies deliver free they water. Yeah, yeah they didn't let them in. Yeah, so it was a, a a huge problem. So you had you had the exact opposite effect. Now, it d- if someone is is charging a hundred dollars for a uh you know so a, a twelve pack of water or or a twenty four pack of water, um. I, would would I necessarily buy it? No. But if that's what the going rate is there and there are people who are willing to pay that price, then I've got no problem with it at all. And that that seems to not sit well with a lot of people
1: it doesn't it, it but it, you know the high prices force forces you to conserve so if you're renting hotel rooms for $500 a night uh, even a rich family's probably not going to buy three rooms for you know the parents and the kids they're going to all pile into one rooms opening up more rooms for other people you know are we better off at a at a lower price or a controlled price where we can't get the good at all mhm <laughs> you know and then you know the question is how do you get more goods into the areas Needed. Um, Kevin William goes, Kevin Williamson, sorry, he's National Review's economics writer, goes a step further, Ed. I love this. He calls price gouging a public service. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There's a politically incorrect uh, take on the whole matter but yeah no it's um But uh, but unpack
2: that a little bit though ron because i mean he he doesn't he doesn't mean that just that hey getting a hundred dollars for a bottle a single bottle of water from somebody is an unmitigated good that's not what he means
1: no that's not what he means what he means is it's the price signal is working the price signal is working you know the price is the pricing is an information signal Right of how of how best to allocate resources, and by letting it work, that's a public service.
2: Yep, and and I think this is just also a great illustration, Ron, of something that we've talked about on a number of occasions, and that is George Gilder's thinking that the price system is more of an information system than it is an incentive system, and I think that this this whole uh, hurricane thing and the gouging really. Brought that home for me in a in a way that I hadn't seen before, um, and again, this is not to say that that prices don't also create incentive for profit. They do, but it, I think that you have to view the price system as more of an information system
1: than an incentive system, and I, th- I think that's a that's a big deal. It, it is. I mean, Gilder doesn't deny that incentives are important. He just says they're ubiquitous and can't explain, you know, free markets, um, but. Uh, and I and I had a conversation online or or via email exchange with Robert Wood, our our you know, <laughs> sci-fi, yep. and there was very you know, and he's he's not a, at all a proponent of price gouging laws. thinks it's ridiculous. thinks you should be able to charge what you want, but he did ask me. Let's say you have a generator and two families come to you, and uh, you know one needs it to uh, run their oxygen tanks and stay alive, and the other is just a rich person you know, who's going to use it to run their air conditioning for their household. Um, the, the rich family's offering you 10 grand for it. And the, the poor family that needs it to stay alive can only afford a grand, say. Mm-hmm. And I think he said, I paid $200 for it. I don't remember. He said, who do you sell it to? And I said, well, you know, if I, if I knew the circumstances of each family, if they were standing in front of me at the same time, you know, I, 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 would, I would like to think I would sell it to the, the people that needed to stay alive. But Mm -hmm. if the rich family got to me first, you know, what are you going to do? But but my answer was, look, (laughs) if I did sell it to the rich person, uh, then maybe my neighbor would be willing to sell his to the second family that comes along. Mm -hmm. It's the only way to get more supply.
2: That's right. It's the only way to get more supply. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. So that, that and I see what his, his point is getting at.
1: I think there's a difference. His his point is that the market doesn't, the prices in the market don't always allocate the goods to to, to the most important issue. No no kidding. (laughs) Yes. And I said, that's right, Robert. I totally agree. The market is lousy at that. Otherwise, the Kardashians wouldn't be rich.
2: Right. (laughs) Great point. Great point. But yeah, well, but here, here's, and I, I just want to make a, one last point on this and I can't believe we're coming up on our first segment and all we talked about is gouging, but it's, it's, it's an important uh, issue. I think it, it, would it be, would it be wrong of you to sell it if they both came to you at the same time, would it be wrong of you to sell it to the rich person versus the poor person? And my answer is I can't make that judgment. Right. Because I don't know what your circumstances are, per se. I don't know if that ten thousand dollars is going to assist you at some point in the future. Right. And you and and any individual making a moral decision to to sell that, whatever they can justify in their mind, I'm not going to try to say that I think one should or shouldn't shouldn't do that. So I think it has to be just like like everything, an individual decision based on all of the facts at hand. And uh, again, would I hope that I would sell it to the the person for that? Actually, you know what I'd hope, Ron. I hope I would say, you know what? Here's my generator. That's what I'd hope I'd say. Mm-hmm. It, don't mm-hmm. don't even bother. Okay, keep your keep your your family member alive. Right. right? Just borrow but it
1: and maybe bring it right. back when when this is over. Yeah.
2: That's correct. Yeah. So right. Anyway, you,
1: you know, Ed. Your but your point is really well taken, and I'll tell you, it's a difficult point. But I think it, the same logic applies to say. The um, utilitarian argument for a graduated income tax or a death tax, right? The the logic is we take a buck from Bill Gates, we inflict little harm, we give the buck to a homeless person, give them a hot meal, and and look how much uh, pleasure it generates, right? But the problem Mm -hmm. is, we don't know what Bill Gates would have done with that dollar. How can we make that choice for Bill Gates or make that or impose that decision? Maybe he was going to do something charitable or philanthropic or, or invest. It, I mean, you just can't automatically assume that mm-hmm. those types of calculations. No, nope, absolutely not. that's a very not. difficult point to make, especially in a disaster. <laughs> oh, of course, of course, and that's, that's, that's why, that's why, why I, economics requires a brain and not feeling. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, like our friend Henry Hazlitt, who we dealt with a couple of years ago. You have to look at it across the long term and across all groups. But we are up against our first break already, Ron. Want to remind you that you can send Ron or me an email by sending an email to one place, and that is ask A-S-K-T-S-O-E, at verisage.com and that will Email will go to both Ron and me. We, we also take a look at our webpage, thesoulofenterprise.com, where we have all of our show notes from previous shows as well as previews to upcoming shows. Right now, a word, however, from our sponsor and our friends at Leading Results. back on the soul of enterprise for free writer friday and ron i'm sorry to dominate that first session on just price gouging so let me turn it back over to you and what what's what's it in your bulging stack of stuff
1: no no price gouging is an important topic i loved it um well ed oh. this is you know we t- we talk about peak oil right we've all heard oh we're at peak oil we've been hearing that yeah. for a long time well we're at peak auto <laughs> Peak auto. Peak okay. auto. The internal combustion engine is is on its way out, according to the Economist. Now, I think this is a classic example of uh, who was it? Mark Twain's line, you know, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Mm. But let's face it; you've probably heard some of the car companies announce that by twenty thirty, I think twenty forty, I think it was, was it Aston Martin? And another one said no more internal combustion engines by then. will be full, you know, battery or whatever. Um, but in The Economist from July 8th, they have, this is the Schumpeter column, which I really like. Uh, yes. My car my car is sexier than yours. <laughs> and he, <laughs> here, here's the deal with this. this. is And this is kind of amazing. Ford and GM are at the bottom of the price earnings ratio in the S&P index. They're, they're literally the walking dead. They have, even though they had $18 billion combined profit last year, their market value is $98 billion. And they project profits will half will fall by half or maybe even more. Now, Ed, just to put that mark cap into perspective, so here you have $18 billion of profit for Ford mm-hmm. and GM with a $98 billion market cap, Amazon last year. billion in profit, not 98 billion. Their market cap, I'm sorry, not 18 billion. Their market cap is 400 billion. Mm. (laughs) Um, So, and of course, Uber, Tesla, and Waymo, uh, Waymo are worth more than the 98 billion market cap of GM and Ford, but they're all losing money and they bring in very little revenue, right? And, of course, the Detroit executive sniff at Silicon Valley, they have no idea how to make millions of cars safely, right? I mean, Tesla is about 1% of GM's annual production. Mm -hmm. And even though these companies, GM and Ford, are trying to invest in the new technology, I mean, GM owns 9% of Lyft, for example. Ford's making investments uh, tremendously into autonomous vehicles, but the investors don't seem to care. Stock price isn't moving, and of course, you know, stock price is reflective of expectations of future earnings, yeah. right? Um, yep. So this is a, a typical incumbents dilemma for the, the old automobile companies. Um, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to – one strategy is they could ring-fence their new divisions, right? You, you might have a new Ford, a new GM, um but if they do that, their their income statements aren't going to look very pretty on that side. You know, they're going to look more like Teslas, but they probably won't get the the pixie dust of a Tesla.
2: Right. No, they won't. Now, I had read, Ron, a while back, so this is just unsubstantiated, So, I'm, but I'm going to say it anyway because, you know, it's our radio show that the The biggest problem for for these incumbents Ford and g m is the promises that they've made over the years to unions from a pension fund standpoint, and that th- in reality you know g m is is really nothing more than a pension fund that happens to make cars if you look at yes.
1: the balance sheet and the healthcare care fund
2: and a healthcare care fund right yeah <laughs> right
1: right yeah no right. and and there's 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 a lot of truth to that. Uh, because, you know, they were doing, um, you know, defined benefit pensions, not, not defined contribution pensions. Like uh, probably Tesla, you know, employees have 401ks. Mm-hmm. I doubt Tesla employees get defined benefit pensions, right? They have to make their own contributions. Um, and same with a lot of the foreign manufacturers that manufacture their cars here, like Toyota or BMW, that, you know, they they're non-union shops for the most part, but but they still pay really well. But I doubt they have the same level of Cadillac health insurance and 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 there's even provisions in the old legacy automobile contracts about you know if they get laid off, they they can sit in a room and, and still collect two thirds of their pay or something.
2: Right. Yep. Yeah. So, well, what they're saying is just is Peak Auto or Peak. Fossil fuel auto? Is that what they're?
1: Yes, they're pay, pay, okay. Pay, pay, basically, yeah. But also, peak, you know, maybe traditional GM Ford <laughs> type. Okay, got type it. Got it. Got as it. Well, right. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I'm kind of looking around for a car, and and uh, you know, kind of looking at hybrids and and all that, and and weighing these options. It's it's not an easy decision, knowing that you know probably the income internal combustion engine is on its way out eventually, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to happen. It's certainly not within the next 10 years. Um, Cause I don't know, Ed, there's just something weird about having to plug in your car every night.
2: <laughs> well, I guess there was something <laughs> weird about giving it gasoline and not feeding it. hay. <laughs> right. <so>. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and I know they're going to have to build an infrastructure for these charging, um, You know areas and people worry about that and eh, so I don't know it's 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 interesting but I just thought that I, the numbers are astonishing on that when you compare you know, how the market views the GM and Ford versus a Tesla company or even Amazon yes yeah. barely making any profit
2: yep. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I, I, I'm I tempted to ask you what what do you think is next on the, the environmentalist hit list once the internal combustion engine is done. But, but I actually want to I don't want to. So let's come back to that maybe because uh, this this might be uh, a, a an example of something that com- when combined with what uh, Ford and GM are doing might change around this peak auto. And that is this company called Magna, M-G-N-A. They have a new, what's called a Max 4 self-driving platform that offers autonomy up to what's called Level 4. Now, le- Level 4 is highly automated self-driving that does not require human intervention. Right. Okay, And uh, Max 4 was introduced and debuted in the media earlier uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm sorry, in a Jeep Grand Cherokee. So there's GM <laughs> getting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting in there that has uh, cameras and radar and, and sensors that you plug into the onboard computing capabilities of the upgradable system. Um, and uh, what this does is it makes, makes the, the current car self-driving. Right. So what will enable you to, you know, automatically um, just go into a self-driving mode on a non-autonomous vehicle. So Mm
1: -hmm. interesting.
2: Yeah. So we still have a
1: steering wheel and, and all of that. Correct. Yeah.
2: Correct. Okay. Correct. Like, that's level so, five,
1: isn't it? When you take out the steering wheel and the pedals. Exactly.
2: Level yeah, yeah. five is when you when you take it out completely, and and there's there's no no longer any human intervention even possible, in okay. in the in the vehicle. So, um, interesting. We'll see. Uh, we'll post a link to this article. This is, was in te- TechCrunch, and you know they, this is you know they're they're saying it's nearly production ready. So you know for a software company that
1: could mean any anything from two weeks to two years. So. Interesting. I just read in the, and I haven't read the article yet, but in The Economist, the Trump administration has issued regulations or or you know, a directive saying um, autonomous vehicles, wave of the future, they're safer, a very light regulatory touch is going to be had by the Trump administration on self-driving cars.
2: Well, except since you bring that up, let me throw this, that there was a bipartisan vote of 54 to nothing in the House Energy and Commerce Committee. That's now forwarded on the Self-Drive Act hmm. that was sent over to, to uh, Congress. Now, this article that I'm going to talk about here by Ronald Bailey uh, said that reg- his argument is is that regular cars didn't need federal regulation. Why do driverless cars need regulation? And he's got a great point, right? He says what what we really need to do is we need to just back off here. Right, uh, his ultimately his conclusion is is quote, while this bill may be well intentioned, but new federal regulations are more likely to hinder than to help development of driverless vehicles. And he uh, he talks about and then posts an article that he wrote back in two thousand sixteen about the the dangers of regulating in this industry in the first place.
1: Boy, and of course you know they did pile on regulations, especially after Ralph Nader's Unsafe at Any Speed book about the Corvair. Right? Yeah, we got airbags, seat belts, and of course all the environmental regulations that went along with it. So it's, I think <laughs> it's going to be a challenge to keep the government's hands out of it. But it, it's encouraging at least to see you know direction from the executive branch saying, hey, you know, light touch here.
2: Yep. Yep. Well, till the next person takes over and says heavy touch, right? So <laughs> that's the problem with federal with with uh, the executive branch.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> Well, I know we've only got a couple minutes here but I got a hopefully a quick one. Law firms okay. in Texas cannot use the terms or titles Chief executive officer or chief technology officer for non-lawyer managers. This is an ethics opinion by the Texas bar uh, you shouldn't be the the banging my head against the dust I, I know here, here we go. Uh, shouldn't use the word officer because the word indicates the person has the power to control either the entire law firm or significant areas of the firm's operations, nor can you use the word principal um, because otherwise, you know, non-lawyers could direct or control the professional judgment of a lawyer. Uh, of course, this is at odds with how many la- law firms operate. A lot of them have chief. Executive officers and chief technology officers may or they're going to have to change their title now. They also can't pay bonuses to non lawyer employees based on, you know, meeting certain revenue or profitability targets. It's okay to pay bonuses and take into consideration revenue and profits, but you can't have specific targets. So, this was an ethics ruling by the Texas bar. Ah, uh, one of our listeners, Jim Borchers from uh, St. Charles, Missouri, a lawyer, sent it to us. Thank you for that, Jim. And I just find this kind of stuff absolutely amazing
2: <laughs> and completely ridiculous. But and unless you think that that Texas is always a business-friendly environment, look no further than the fact that in Texas, you in order to shampoo hair, you have to be licensed. True story.
1: I, I, Yep, and I've got something else on my stack on that. But uh, in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at ask, T-S-O-E, at Check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And please go out to iTunes and give us a review if you so desire. That would be wonderful. That really helps us uh, to attract great guests on the show. And now we want to hear from our sponsor.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com.
2: Free Rider Friday continues on the Soul of Enterprise here, and Ron, you just left off with a a, a story about Texas and lawyers and them having to be lawyers can't have non lawyers I, I find the term non-lawyer offensive,
1: by the way. They're the, They're the only, only it's profession a, a, that does it. They're the only. It's a thing. trigger word. It, yeah, you never hear a doc, the medical profession talk about non-doctors.
2: Yeah. Yeah. In fact, or they, non
1: non dentists. Yeah. In fact, they have a lot of uh, terms or or you know titles for nurses and radiologists and all of that. But in the law firm, you're a lawyer or a non lawyer.
2: Absolutely amazing. All right. Anyway, th- well, here here's one to combat that. This is a story from Washington Post and by Elizabeth uh, Dowser. And what uh, Ms. Dowser has to say is a, about a, a Silicon Valley startup that is looking to replace lawyers with computers. Uh, and this is a, a – a, it was originally the dream of a, a – name, his name is Justin Kahn or K-A-N. I guess that's can, Maybe it's Kahn. And who is, he, he knows a thing, thing or two about startups. He built a video gaming company. Uh, game called twitch which he sold to amazon for nearly a billion dollars so this helped him launch these other companies including a couple of in- incubators but now his his uh, months old legal firm is called atrium atrium mm-hmm. uh it has raised so far 10.5 million dollars uh, in in cap uh it, but the the key pull quote here is let me get to the this the uh section here uh is that he is going to? Ready, Ron? Not bill by the hour. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> yep, there's a shock. So he th- he is changing the business model, Ron, to uh, eliminate the billable hour because well, he's going to replace it with computers and I guess implementations of different you know smart technology and and uh, uh, artificial intelligence. So yeah, so this is this is this is a guy who really has it together. Uh, they they believe that they're going to be ready to go, or is this in uh, roughly about a year? Right. Uh, so here's 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 the pull quote. To that end, one of Atrium's more innovative features—that's what this article says—Ron. Innovative features is this pricing model. The firm doesn't does, doesn't charge by the hour as most corporate law firms do. Instead, Atrium estimates the amount of work that it it expects to do for every client and charges a single upfront monthly fee,
1: regardless of the hours worked. Where have I heard that before, Ron? Wow. Wow, innovative. <laughs> you know every every disruptor law firm out there axiom or I mean, there's a whole slew of them um, that they, they all have that model. I mean, so this is nothing new. But it's great to see another one pile in there though. I love that, yep,
2: yep. especially one that's going to 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 use, put you know technology front and center in this, which I think is great.
1: Yep. IBM ain't Bill and Watson by the hour, that's for sure. Heck no. <laughs> Heck no. Oh, no, that's no. awesome. Well, Ed, I got a great one here from another writer that I really admire. He usually writes for Forbes, but they um, you find him on the Foundation for uh, Economic um, Education as well. His name is John Tamney. And he wrote something back in May, so it's just been in my stack for a while, but this is so politically incorrect, but I, I'm going to do it anyway, because I love it. The title is American Men, Quit Your Whining. He said the last <laughs> people to rate our compassion are, you know, men out of work. Um, the, the, he said the rest of the non-English world is working feverishly to learn what? English. And American yeah. males already know how he said the USA is a land without opportunity, men without work, you know that book I mean this whole yes, uh-huh. um, idea that, oh you know, these poor guys they're they're alienated and uh you know they've been emasculated by feminism and and John is just not having anything to do with this. He says, you know what tell me the numbers of people who would come here man and and gladly work is it in the millions or billions? Right. The <laughs> land of opportunity. Then he quotes the statistic. And this is really interesting. The per capita income of Shanghai, China, which is their richest city, annual per capita income, seven grand. In Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, which is one of the most depressed areas in the country, it's over 20000 And he said, you know, feminism, this idea that feminism is neutered man. He said, yeah, right. Tom Brady, Jeff Bezos and Derek Jeter all curl up in the fetal position each night. Um, (laughs) He said, by this logic, men wouldn't be thriving in professions of all kinds. He said, this is a certain sign that the USA is so rich. It must find problems to invent as opposed to solving real ones. And, you know, I think he's got a great point here. And and uh, this kind of thinking got me, uh, you know, there's that book out there, Hillbilly Elegy. I don't know if you've seen or read reviews on this by a guy named J.D. Vance, who grew up in a, in a rural town, you know, starting in Kentucky and then in Ohio. And he talks about the social capital of, of being a hillbilly. Now, this guy's a venture capitalist here in the Bay Area. He's very, very successful. Went to Yale Law School. He escaped That hillbilly culture, but it's still a part of him. He's still very proud to call himself a hillbilly. You know, he had a very stern grandmother raised him. his mother went through, you know, 20 husbands or something. He moved all around as a kid, didn't have the greatest, uh, you know, childhood. Uh, he's but this book bu- and the book is great. It's it's very well written, and he takes a sociological look at this culture. And he says the social capital is awful because there's no there's no role models, there's no examples, um, and and you know a lot of us like to blame external factors, and and you know whether it's the opioid addiction or whatever. I mean, th- this is kind of the point that Charles Murray makes in, in his book, Coming Apart, as well that you know these people don't have role models because the rich aren't preaching what they practice Mm -hmm. in other words they won't they won't judge any anybody for you know not getting married staying in school finishing high school not having kids out of wedlock not having kids at 14 all of that so just just really interesting but i just love the way tamney put that
2: Oh, that's great! I'm I'm just so sick and tired of this whole whining crowd. I mean, and and I it's in a way it's even more universal than that, Ron. It's not just American males. I, I think everybody is now becoming a culture of, of butterflies and 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 snowflakes, whatever you want to call it, the politically incorrect term. You know, you just look at the 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 Deirdre McCloskey charts. Um, and and the, the change in the number of people living in absolute poverty over the, the, the course of, of the last, what, even five decades since the 1960s yes. worldwide, right? Yep. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just so incredible, but yet, oh, no, we have to worry about inequality in the United States,
1: and, 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 and really, and, <laughs> and not just inequality, but all these other issues too. And it's like everybody wants, like you said, everybody wants to claim a victim status. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's microaggressions or civil war statues that, you know, upset me. Like, there's not real evil to fight, so we got to go fight. You know, two hundred year old statues. Well,
2: yeah, they're not two hundred years old, Ron. That's the point, right? They came came out in the nineteen twenties. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's yeah. Some of them did. Right? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs>
2: Anyway, yeah. all right. Well, let me see if I can squeeze one in here. This is k- kind of out of a, a, an oldie but a goodie, um, and just just to let people know that we're still talking about this topic and thinking about it. Uh, do, the word auger, Ron. Do you know a u g u r? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Yep. This is a, a, in ancient Rome was a, a religious official who observed natural signs, including the birds, and interpreted things. Right, and now that's known as a, as a, as an event that might have a good or a bad outcome, right? Mm-hmm. So, right, as a, as a mm-hmm. verb. Um, well, there's now a, 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 an, a, an online company called dot net, and this is a, ready? A decentralized prediction market.
1: Okay. So yep. this
2: is a, predi- a prediction market that's now based on the Ethereum blockchain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The quick translation can't be shut down by anyone. Yep, yep, I like right? that. Yep. Can't be shut down because it doesn't exist really anywhere. Like they can't say, "Oh no, well you can't do you can't have betting on this uh, because this is a, this it's an illegal betting because there's no place that this exists that it exists it's on the blockchain. It's distributed. Yep, it's I love it. Distributed. Yep. So uh, anyway, I you know I'm hoping hopefully you know either this company or another makes it makes a go of this as as, uh, as our listeners might be aware you and I are big fans of prediction markets even though they didn't do so well in the uh, 2016 election but but I really I really do think that that they are the future.
1: I hope so. I hope this uh, brings them back to light. That'd be that'd be wonderful. Yep. We we should do a show on prediction markets cuz they really are kind of amazing. And, and it's, it's interesting to know that a lot of companies are still using them internally, you yep. know, for, for like drug companies will use them if, if, you know, bet on whether or not our, our drug will get FDA approval or timeline for projects, you know, like you've always advocated, you know, bet, bet on when this project's going to actually finish despite yep. what the billable hour budget says.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, Ron, here we are up against our last break. want to remind you that you can contact us with an email to ask TSOE. It's also the Twitter handle, so at AskTSOE on Twitter will get, get the attention of Ron and me, so we'll be happy to read your tweet on the air and perhaps a- answer a question you have. As Ron reminded you earlier, though, we'd love to have you review on iTunes, The Soul of Enterprise, and also the book go to amazon.com search up the soul of enterprise or just go to the slash book and you'll be taken to that page and leave a review on the book as well but right now a word from our sponsor and my employer sage
3: follow us on twitter at voiceamericatrn get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
4: Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S.O.E.
0: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
3: we're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here free Writer Friday for September 2017. And Ed, I'm going to give you another one because the last one I have here is kind of a long one.
2: Okay. All right. Thanks, Ryan. So th- this one I hope will be be pretty quick too. You, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the the Antifa. I think in the, one of in one of our last show and and fascism and how it's the 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 right of the left and people don't realize it. Well, I I, I went to looking up the fascist manifesto, which was published by Mussolini in nineteen nineteen. The, yep. And some of the things that are listed in here, just want to want to you know, throw this out at you. Uh, first of all, it calls for a universal suffrage and lowering the voting age to 18 from 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, it calls for proportional representation and as well as voting for women, which was opposed at that point. Right uh did call for the abolition of the Italian Senate which was an upper house at the time so there was it, there was no it, there was a a king at the time so this was an extension of the crown really and then uh it called for formal councils for experts right for labor industry and transportation so far so good but here's some of the other things all right it called for a minimum wage ron <laughs> it called for a minimum wage yep. okay yep. Uh, it called for the uh, r- the reorganization of the railway and transport sector. It called for a reduction in the retirement age from 65 to 55 Ron <laughs> all right um, it called for a peaceful but competitive foreign policy. it called for uh, armaments to be nationalized and ready It called for a strong progressive tax on capital you. Yep. And also the revision of all mi- military contracts and the outright seizure of 85% of the profits for, for companies that were manufacturing military, uh, uh, military, uh, I guess, accoutrements, let's call mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds um, unlike free market capitalism to me, Ron.
1: Very I- <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of FTR's cabinet went to Italy and studied uh, El Ducci or whatever, um, and they admired him, and they talked about it freely, about mm-hmm. how it was, you know, making the trains run on time and all of that. I mean, yeah, you're right. Fascism is a product of the left. It's not a product of the right.
2: Where the heck did we get fascism equals free market capitalism? That's, that's really yeah. the thing I can't yeah. – I mean, I'm just completely blown away by that.
1: I hear you. I hear you. It's yep. wild. Uh, okay, I got one here. Uh, e- the Economist does these things where they talk about six big ideas. It's a series, and and the one I'm looking at is Gary Becker and Human Capital. And, of course, mm. just given the show, we have to do this. Um, Gary Becker, of course, University of Chicago. He passed away in 2014. He was the 1992 Nobel winner. And he, and he really won the Nobel Prize for pushing economics just beyond – you, you know, it's it's normal domain and and into other areas of human behavior, you mm-hmm. know, crime and punishment, the family, and um, he he started uh, working in human capital, I believe, in the sixties. And you know, why do families in rich countries have fewer children, right? Mm-hmm. Why do companies in poor uh, companies in poor countries provide meals to workers? Why does each new generation spend more time in school? Um, Why have earnings of highly skilled workers risen, even as their numbers have also increased? And all of the answers to these questions revolve around human capital. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You'll love this. A panel of German linguists in 2004 deemed human capital the most offensive word of the year. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Uh,
1: it's not a great term i have to admit i'm not i'm not fond of it but you know it's it's so much out there in the literature but you know why do they say capitalism is the best contraceptive why do families in rich countries have fewer children it's because they they want to invest more into each Mm -hmm. child right education whatever uh right and and a longer life expectancy um, is why we spend more time in school and more time in education, because it's going to pay off longer, right, as we live longer. And another reason why, by the way, the world's getting better, as you said in the in the last segment. Um, but he, and, and he talked about, you know, America's GI Bill post-World War II, obviously, that, you know, this is kind of what led to the knowledge economy. That, that's what Drucker concluded anyway. Um, and Gary Becker also drew... Um, you know, a distinction between bad inequality and good inequality. Now this is very interesting. Uh, he thought that, you know, doctors, scientists, and, you know, computer programmers, it was wonderful that they made a lot of money because it would motivate others to tackle these, these difficult subjects. And that would push the boundaries of knowledge forward. So that's a very Gilder point, you know, about the knowledge economy and knowledge being wealth and all of that. Um, and what's really another interesting thing is the way that you can interpret this literature on human capital. there's There's two interpretations, so both the left and the right can glom on to this and and in fact did. The first one is, well, obviously, if if Becker's research is right, then governments need to invest more in education, right? And what yeah. would be what would be the libertarian slash conservative response to that?
2: That we need to spend more. Well, that we need to spend more on education. Yes. Well, their, be their response. Uh, well, yes, but it would be up to the individual to decide that, and not not use use public funds to do it.
1: Right, because the payoff would be so big, the individual should be able to afford exactly. it and invest in their own. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's I, the same re- same reason why I, you know, tell Elon Musk if he wants to build a Hyperloop, have a have at it. Elon, go, I love it.
1: Go for it. Yeah, colonize <laughs> Mars. I'm all for yeah. it, dude.
2: <laughs> just not with my nickel or dime or quarter or million dollars or whatever.
1: So the the other, you know, the other thing, we we've, we've talked about this before on the show, but just to tie it back, I mean, human capital according to the World Bank is 80% of the developed world's wealth. And that's a point that I think constantly has to be made as as we look at you know whether it's oil or batteries or something replacing fossil fuel We tend to confuse these things with with wealth, but wealth is really you know knowledge. And like yep. Gilder says, growth is learning. Um, and that and that comes from that springs from human minds.
2: Yep and, and it's it's so true and and it's it's really just the application of that knowledge that caused all this of course the great thomas Sowell point that the neanderthals had all of the molecules that you see around you you know your 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 mac your microphone your iphone those molecules were all here what what cr- what brought them into being as the things that we see well it's the application of the human mind one 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 individual genius step at a time i suppose so
1: Right. And, and that's something I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that AI, you know, I've been reading, um, I just read Gary Gat, uh, Kasparov's book about, uh, you know, human intelligence, basically. And, and it's kind of talking about AI, but it's really kind of his memoir about, you know, Deep Blue, playing against right. Deep Blue, the, the, the first match and then the rematch. Um, and it's very interesting. I mean, it was absolutely fascinating, but interspersed in the story. Are a bunch of nuggets about his view of you know how human intelligence differs from computer intelligence, and I just you know we're, I'm not sure we'll ever be able to duplicate it, no matter how good machines get.
2: I agree. I agree. It's it's uh, th- there's always something about human creativity that we we can't anticipate, and you know perhaps perhaps they they will uh, be become more creative, but. Bottom line is, is that there's not a lot of creativity happening
1: because it's always the mind of somebody else that's in the machine. Excellent. Well, Ed, this has been a blast. I love these Free Rider Fridays and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology join us next week folks on friday at 1 p.m pacific in the meantime check out our show notes at the soul of you can listen to all the shows we've ever done there as well on our archive page you can also contact ed or myself at ask T-S-O-E, at verisage.com thanks for listening folks have a great weekend